Yo, can you hear me? Hey man, yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Scott, I was trying to see if Scott can hear me, but he seems to be glitching. Yo, did you see the news about Zusu? Scott, yeah, can I you can tell hear me at least you. are still here. I can hear you. Uh, perfect, I can, can you hear me? Uh, um, yes, we hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you did you see the news, Ran? I know Scott did. I've I'm not sure. Just seen it. I've just 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 seen it. Uh, that uh, Suzu's been uh, well detained, apprehended, arrested. Arrested. He's going to jail for four months. Yeah, and apparently, from what I read, I don't know if I mean I've only read one article, and it's because he the the liquidator's been struggling to to get information. They're kind of saying, "Look, we'll put you in in jail or what." Until until we get information, literally lock them in a room so they can stop. They can't dodge the paperwork anymore. Wow, we that is crazy. So how how, how serious how serious is this? Because four months doesn't seem like a lot. It's like a break away from um... in Singapore. They cane you if you spit. So this doesn't seem like the hugest sentence possible in that country. But unless it's like a, a form of detention. Um, but there could be more coming. I'm not sure if there's there's more to it than that. So I, think, I, think, uh, look, I don't have a lot of information. I'm only reading the the, the, the article that we have. And it says, uh, to know the joint liquidators of CRS Capital confirmed that this afternoon, Mr. Suzu was apprehended at Changi Airport while attempting to travel out of Singapore following a committal order grant by the Singapore courts against him. The joint liquidators had applied for and obtained the committal order against Mr. Zhu on 25 September. As a consequence of his deliberate failure to comply with the court order obtained, which in essence compelled him to cooperate with the liquidator's investigation and account for his activities as one of the founders of CRS Capital, its former investment manager. The committal order granted by Singapore courts sentenced Mr. Zhu to four months imprisonment. A similar committal order was granted against the other co-founder, Carl Livingston Davies. The committal order against... Uh, both Mr. Zhu and Mr. Davies direct any police officer to arrest them and bring them safely to be imprisoned for four months. As a result, Mr. Zhu will be held in prison to serve his sentence of four months under the committal order, during which time the liquidators will seek to engage with him on matters relating to Sierra's capital, focusing on the recovery of assets that are either property of Sierra's capital or that have been acquired using Sierra's capital's funds. The liquidators will pursue all opportunities to ensure that Mr. Zhu complies with the full court order made against him for the provision of information and documents relating and its former investment manager during the course of this imprisonment and thereafter and may make application for further court orders as required. Throughout the process, the liquidators' priority has been recovering the assets of Sierra's capital and maximizing returns for its creditors. Mr. Davies has has also committed Mr. Davies has also been committed for four months, but his whereabouts remain unknown at this point. Independently, effective 13th uh, September, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, which has the responsibility of regulating investment activities, prohibited Mr. Zhu and Mr. Davies from conducting regulated investment infrastructure uh, activities in Singapore for nine years each. So the, first, the, the last part I think we actually knew about, that was... Uh, it was as I said, on the, I think we spoke about it on the 13th of September, but the, the, the part here, I mean, and again, I don't know anything about Singapore law, but it seems like they were not cooperative with the state liquidator. It seems like the liquidator was trying to get information as to where are these assets uh, and stuff like that, and maybe these guys weren't cooperating. And then, uh, I mean, as a result, I think what the liquidator has done now, I said, okay, we went to a court, and the court said, look, if they're not being cooperative, put them in jail for four months and then you can have a conversation with them when they're in jail.
So it doesn't sound to be that serious unless there's more to it. Like, it's just lack of cooperation. You go to jail if you cooperate. But then at the same time, Kyle is they could they didn't apprehend Kyle because they don't know his location. Uh, so someone posts somewhere. I think it's clear that Suzu wasn't particularly worried if he flew back to Singapore publicly and was flying publicly right back out of Singapore. So I have to imagine there's a bit of a shock to him because in a country like Singapore, they're going to know you're there. They're going to know your flights. They're going to know you're leaving. So clearly he didn't think that uh, he was going to be apprehended. You have to assume. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if there's any lawyers in, in the, in the audience that can, can, um, Kind of shed a bit more light on being apprehended for not uh, complying with the with the with the courts when it comes to liquidations, and um, but if there's more, if there's nothing more than that, um, would you guys agree with my 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 assumption that this doesn't seem to be that serious? Well, I mean, you got to think about why aren't why haven't they complied with the with the um, uh, uh, what's it called of of the of the liquidator? Why haven't they complied with the requests of the liquidator so you know one reason why they haven't complied is maybe they've given everything that they've got and the liquidator is unhappy that's that could be a reason another reason is they haven't complied because they just felt that maybe you know they were above needing to comply so it's almost like well what do we need to comply for you're a liquidator you work shit out you know what i mean like you know we don't need we don't need to help you you know like if you think about how sbf and what happened between sbf and uh, john ray John Ray actually kind of said to SBF, like, I don't want your help. Like, get the hell out of here. Like, just, just leave as quickly as possible. The more you're here, the more you're interacting with staff, the more dangerous you're becoming. You know what I mean? So I think we need to, you know, like, I don't know what the, um, what the, uh, 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 the reason is that they, that, they, that they weren't compliant. And I, I guess that's, that's the part that now needs to be resolved. And uh, I'm just looking at, don't they have a token for their exchange that's listed? So there's a yeah. token for the OpenX exchange, which is, I mean, it's pretty much now worth 50%. Holy shit. 50% Guys, hold on. Less. Yeah. Is yeah. it just me or did it drop? I don't want to say it, but it is, is it the one I'm looking at? It's OX. Is, or there's one that's dropped by 26%. Is that it? It's, no, it's dropped by 42%. So it's, it's, it was trading at... Uh, 0.026 and now it's trading at 0.013. So it's tra- dropped by about 50%. But I don't think well, that that's, that's, pretty... I don't think that that's so real because I don't actually think you could sell this because I think it's, it's completely illiquid. So I think, I think this is what you're probably getting well, on coin volume. Market. No, yeah, coin market, but it says your volume at 2.7 yeah. million. I'm just going to send a screenshot in our group, in the yeah, moderating group. If, if, you, yeah, if, you look at the, if you look at the Uniswap um, uh, liquidity, there's like zero liquidity. There. You, probably, you pretty much can't sell anything. It's, yeah, but they've got, but they've got the, the, what about the, flex? Yeah, it says not is. What about flex? It, it's, What's yeah, flex? The, the flex token is worth zero because it's not, there's no, it's not actually linked to the exchange anymore. It's, like, it's almost like a token that's expired, if you want to call it that. Did it convert or did like, I mean, I know you were, you were a buyer of flex, obviously what, what happened? Hold on, flex dropped guys. Hold on flex. It, it, I know it's saying you're saying it's dead, but down 81% today. Flex coin is down 81%. No, unless it's a different flex. I'm not sure. I'll There's probably 17 flexes. This is crypto. No, nah, yeah, there's some random one. Yeah, yeah. But the open exchange one, like if you mean like the drop is pretty, look at the chart drop is pretty, pretty big drop and it looks liquid. Uh, but then again, it says 96% liquid. liquidity is on Uniswap. 
It's not liquid. I'm, I'm okay, looking so, at it now. So what, the, I'm looking so at what, the volume on a ten thousand dollar a ten thousand dollar transaction. You're gonna get a huge slippage here on Uniswap. I'm not, I'm I'm on Uniswap now. I'm looking at it. You can you're gonna get so how's how's it's it, pretty much how's the volume. At- it's probably it's Go pretty ahead. much worth nothing because I don't think there's any buyers. That's that's pretty much where it is. For open exchange? For open exchange, yeah. I mean, Wait, I think quickly. What? I'm, sorry. Uh, you got me. I was going to ask jo- Josh Frank. I mean, obviously, you look at this stuff. You maybe have the tie pulled up. I don't want to put you on the spot, but can you give us any clarity on this? Thank, thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. You're welcome. You know, I can. You can count on me. Do you happen to have any color on uh, what's happening with the tokens? With the Flex token, what is the token actually called? I don't even know what a ticker. Flex is. and OX are the two tokens. But it's we, actually it's it's only OX because Flex. There was a period when you could swap your Flex for OX, and if you didn't do it, you're basically well, okay, so, you're out, kind of thing. So, so it's OX solely. Got it. Yeah, but I was under the impression that OX was actually doing well. Flex had done, it was, it was doing Flex well had done exceptionally well. I know that at the very beginning, everybody was shocked. That was when we were in Dubai mm. and 3AC was on kind of their quiet roadshow at the mall in February, uh, raising money for for OX and then doing OTC deals with Flex. It's funny, at that time, the biggest argument, and maybe it's still a valid one that Kyle made, uh, Steve McClurg was actually going to be here today and I crashed his meeting with them, uh, which I've talked about quite a few times. Kyle's sort of argument was, hey guys, look, Nobody's ever arrested us. We've never gotten in trouble. Doesn't that say everything you need to know? And maybe that still holds water, Ran here. I don't know. That was obviously what they told you as I well. I think, look, no, I, not, to, not to defend the guys, but I think what they said was that there's no fraud charges against them right. and stuff like that. And I think, I mean, again, we've got to be critical of the news here. This is not a fraud charge. This is just saying, look, you weren't cooperating with the liquidator. We compelled you with a court order to to cooperate with the liquidator. You still weren't cooperating with the liquidator. Therefore, go to jail. And now the liquidator can have you in jail where he needs you. And I think if you read the article again, it kind of says, you know, they can apply for more court orders if they require. You know, so yeah, like, I think that's what it seems like for sure. Can I can I ask um, Ryan, why is volume so high on coin market cap? I mean, I guess that if you say on coin market, but I'm, I'm looking at CoinGecko and $3.1 million has been sold today. Yeah, with all the trading, it looks like all the trading's been on Uniswap. I mean, the thing's not listed on any legit exchanges. So it looks like somebody sold a million bucks worth and the price dropped by like 40% and then recovered. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the same thing. I'm seeing the same thing. And I guess you're asking why. This is a highly, highly, highly illiquid token. And you've just had a news headline that the founder was arrested. I don't think that that, that would be very good for, a, for an illiquid token. You know what I mean? It's just uh, not great. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the top 100 holders hold 91% of the supply of the token for perspective. There's only about 4,000 holders. So it's not like that many people are holding this thing. So what, what happened, Ryan? I know you were talking about it earlier. Like uh, Last I remember is when um, I was looking at the headlines back a few months ago and, and you know we were joking around how uh, these guys after what they did with three arrows capital they managed to launch open ex- open exchange and it was a great idea and they seem to getting a lot of interest in doing well uh, any idea what happened afterwards did the exchange not get well did not do well not many users no, the exchange, i mean look the exchanges look i mean i'm not very 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 close to the exchange numbers because i don't watch them on a daily basis but the exchange as i understand was starting to gain momentum they were starting to do quite exciting things 
And actually, to be honest, the token was performing really well. Like the token is, is actually been the really, really good performer up until about an hour ago when the founder was arrested. So, I, you know, I don't think you can judge and say, okay, because the token's down 40%. If you looked at this token at uh, 14 minutes ago, no, sorry, not 14 minutes, 20, 20, 28 minutes ago, the token was at 0, 024 uh, and I think that that's that was a like that's quite a big number. That's about you know a couple of X's higher than it was a couple of months ago. Um, and then again, you know, obviously in the last half an hour, uh, with the news of Sue being arrested, obviously one buyer has gone and sold a million dollars worth of tokens, destroyed all the liquidity on Uniswap, and now obviously there's there's no buyers. You know, like I mean, I don't know how many people are standing there with a buying order going, hey, the founder's just been arrested. This is a great time for me to actually start buying this token. Yeah, that was probably true. Sue on the way to the courthouse. He was uh, he was selling on his phone just before he got out. Yeah, but the, the question is like it seems uh, Joshua is saying there's just one big seller of a million dollars worth of uh, OX tokens, open exchange tokens. I don't know. I, let me I, I go look at the transaction history, the Dex trade history. I don't know if it was one seller or multiple sellers. There's a lot. Either of- way, either way, what you got to remember with these tokens, Mario, these are tokens that trade on a decentralized exchange, and the way that these tokens trade on a decentralized exchange is. You have a liquidity pool. A liquidity pool is people effectively that uh, are willing to put up tokens to be liquidity. Now, there's a very limited amount of, of people that do that. It's not something that happens, you know, there's not hundreds and thousands of people that do this. It's quite a limited amount of people that do it. So as soon as someone, as soon as someone sells. Yeah, but it's a million, it's, it's a sale, it's a million dollars worth of tokens. So it's not like a small sale. Um, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm it, it I'm, looks it looks like I mean look it could be one seller I mean I'm not looking at in all the individual wallet addresses there there's a ton of transactions like one thousand two three four five ten thousand twenty thousand but I mean it's it's hundreds of transactions that are occurring it's not a say I, I haven't seen a single obviously it could be split up too into multiple transactions right so the biggest transaction I saw was forty grand so far over the last fifteen minutes or so mm. yeah. Because um, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the reason the reason I'm digging into this, guys, is just to understand. Because at the end of the day, I look I look at the markets for answers. Like whatever I wonder, is this serious? Is it not serious? The markets. Um, this is not a, a good look at the market because, as I say, this is not a perfect market where there's lots of buyers and lots of sellers. There's only one place effectively where you can buy and sell this token, and that's Uniswap V3. And as I say, on Uniswap V3, there's limited uh, there's limited. Uh, volatility. If you give me two minutes, I'm going to step into the office of my trader and I'm actually going to quickly give you the numbers so just that you can understand how illiquid this trade is actually at the moment. Yeah, while you're doing that, um, maybe Scott, you, you uh, I was inviting uh, speakers as we're bringing up, uh, I was inviting speakers as, as Rand was reading the, the details on the arrest. I'm not sure if you were focusing on it, but maybe give an overview for the listeners on, on uh, what we know so far when it comes to Zuzu's arrest. Yeah, I think Rand gave a pretty good summary. He was in Singapore, obviously, was apprehended at the airport, uh, apparently on his way out. Um, it seems uh, that this was likely, it came from the liquidator who allowed the Singapore police uh, an order to apprehend them and safely bring them to jail for four months. Uh, and the implication here from what we're reading, but guys, these are the early reports. Nobody knows anything, let's be honest, but is that they've been basically dodging liquidators and the liquidator was able to get him in jail for four months so that he could sit them down and have his time and understand what's happening with the, with the process. Basically, it does not seem like this is a criminal or a fraud thing initially, that it's likely just that uh, the liquidator and the police got tired of chasing them and took action. I mean, that, that's the impression that I'm getting here. 
That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Sorry, my tra- I just checked. My traders are not her. They've left already for the day, so I'm not going to be able to get you guys the the the, the, the well, Josh had um, it. market. Yeah, Josh, Josh had it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the, if you just go on Uniswap really quick, um, and you just look at uh, you know, like swapping a hundred grand in uh, in in tokens to ETH, you're looking at like thirty percent slippage. That's pretty wild. <laughs> and, and, and as it drops more, that there's going to be less liquidity. So it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy there, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, you, I mean, you could just look at the uh, liquidity. Uh, you can look at the wallet, uh, the, uh, the address of the liquidity pool and track the liquidity over time as well. Perfect. I mean, Mario, it seems like we, you know, beyond yeah. here, we start we'll to get well. into uh, conjecture and t- speculation. And yeah. I hate to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I think, so. I think I think we must just again like for those listening, like there's we must just reassure there's no fraud charges, there's no fraud charges, there's no criminal charges. It's just a cooperation, uh, a cooperation thing. I actually just wonder now where Carl Davies is. I mean, as far as I know, Carl Davies was in Dubai. I wonder if he's still in Dubai. Dude, he's at the mall in Dubai raising money. Last place I saw. <laughs> so, he's probably sitting in a, He was on CNBC this morning, actually. Was he really? Um, I haven't had a chance to watch the, the interview, but uh, let me see if I can find the link. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Really? Is that, is, that, is that a real thing or is that you being facetious? Yeah, I think he's being serious. No, 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 really. He was, he was, actually, yeah, he was actually on CNBC. I saw him this morning. Let me see if I can find it. Where is Kyle's Davies? I mean, he's literally sitting right there in front of the screen on CNBC. Seems like they could uh, figure that out. Mm. Um, all right, cool. I think we've covered the story well. Anything else to add from the panel, Thomas? Hey, guys. Before we move on the, to the, the rest of the agenda. Yeah, just on the uh, from the bankruptcy side or from the uh, insolvency side, I mean, we've been active in the three arrows bankruptcy um, or insolvency, and they're called bankruptcy in BBI. And it is a little frustrating as a creditor, I mean, because the Teneo seems hell bent on getting information from Kyle and Sue, and they really haven't been super cooperative. So, of course, they tried the U.S. court, tried to hold them in contempt, and now this action in Singapore. So, it's not that surprising. I mean, I'm not a, a Singaporean like uh, criminal attorney, but hopefully it'll help. I mean, there has been some good developments, you know, I guess, with the WorldCoin sort of ICO uh, for, uh, for, th- for Three Arrows creditors, but I think a lot of claimants will you know, I don't know if they, they want people arrested. They just kind of want answers so they can get to the bottom of uh, of it. And, you know, I, all these actions cost a lot of money. So it comes Thomas, cre- off of the question, what, lack of creditors. Re- real yeah. quick question. What's the market right now on 3AC claims? Like, what, what are they selling at? It's like 8 to 10 cents on the dollar. Wow, those are bad. What's a Mt. Gox claim now? I know you and I were talking about that. Uh-huh. Like 80 cents on the dollar, but it's a little different because you got the uplift in Bitcoin. Yeah, that yeah, they actually get the benefit of Bitcoin rising, right? That that makes total yeah. sense. Wow, what are FTX claims selling for now? FTX. But hold on, surely, surely, three arrows capital uh, creditors would get the uplift, if any, of any investments that uh, three arrows capital is holding. You do, but like under U.S. bankruptcy law, you're capped at the dollarized petition date value, and it's possible the same thing could happen in the BBI. Um, but you would have equitable arguments as a creditor to get that uplift as you're talking about. Those are those equitable arguments won in Japan, but I don't know if they would win in the U.S. court just because there are a lot of other investors below you. Like, let's say if creditors are made whole in dollarized petition date value, like what if I'm a a Series B investor or whatever, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a Toronto's teacher's pension, and I invested four hundred million dollars in FTX. Once the creditors are made whole, wouldn't I 
wouldn't I have access to that? Now, I guess three hours is a little different um, because there aren't any, well, there aren't any equity holders that are not insiders, um, not that I'm aware of. But there are other debt holders that are probably behind creditors, like think the Starry Night guys and the uh, Defiance guys. I mean, I know they're trying to fight that, but um, they're going to have divergent Thomas, interest on those, those things. Why do you think he's not complying with the with the uh, uh, with the request from the liquidators? And is that common? Uh, it's not super common. Most people have to play ball. They're they're either American or they have they're in jurisdictions where it's hard to not um, uh, play ball. But you know, delay, delay, delay is uh, you know a litigation strategy. I mean, I mean, if, no matter what actually went down with Kyle and Sue and Three Arrows, I mean, the liquidators you know intimated that he's going to sue them for the deficiencies you know trading while insolvent that's the big claim he has against kyle and sue so uh you know he's going to argue that they were insolvent for much longer than they did and they took in money from people while they were insolvent and under a lot of jurisdictions well in the vvi jurisdiction you can you can look to the person that was trading and it's 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 illegal to trade while you're insolvent in a lot of jurisdictions so it's illegal, you know, as in so so it's criminal. It's a criminal act if you if you trade while you're civil, insolvent. I won't. I don't want to say it's criminal. It's definitely civil. I think trading. I think trading. I think trading while you're insolvent in most jurisdictions is actually criminal. To be honest, it is in a lot of it is in a lot of jurisdictions. Not in the. I mean, I wouldn't say not in the states. We don't have uh, that that quite that same idea. We have what are called fraudulent conveyances. So any activities you did. So like all the. Uh, FTX uh, litigations that the liquidators bringing John Ray's bringing, he is saying, "Hey, these these the company was insolvent and he was making all these investments. We want to unwind all those investments." That's that's the way the American code looks at it versus a little bit in some other jurisdictions. Of course, they have fraudulent conveyance, but they don't have this idea of trading while you're insolvent. You have to owe us the deficiency type of thing towards directors and officers. And just to so, be clear, the the three hours entity is a Singaporean entity, right? I mean, the liquidations in the BVI. I think it's BVI. Uh, I think they're based in Singapore, yeah. but I think the actual entity is offshore. So yeah. the question is: the question is, if if a, if a, if entities in a BVI, where would the why wouldn't the liquidator be a BVI liquidator? This is what, where, where I'm getting confused. Like, I can't imagine you know uh, in uh, entity in the states, but for example, the liquidator being a I don't know, a Jamaican, you know, like I'm just trying to work to just work out how Singapore actually fits in here. I, th- I think they had some Singapore corporate structures and they operated out of there. But as, um, as someone just said, uh, uh, they were they were set up or registered in the in the BVI. And that's why the liquidation is happening there. And that's another some people refer to it as Comey. What does it stand for? Basically, like where your substantial either where you're incorporated or where your substantial operations are is where you can generally file. Josh, you said you had some color privately on the FTX claims. Is that correct? Oh yeah, just the uh, they're, they're tra- you asked earlier. It's trading about forty three cents as of two days ago. Uh, a lot of the reason it's up so much is the Anthropic shares that they own now that uh, uh, Amazon uh, invested four billion dollars in Anthropic. Uh, I mean, it's up from I think you know a re- like earlier they were trading at like seven cents. Obviously, they fluctuated a lot, but they're up to about forty three cents in the dollar right now. Pretty good. Just to comment on that, yeah, those are institutional grade claims. So there's a little bit of a bifurcation in the market, guys. 
So like anything like sub million dollars is generally trading like 20 to 30 and anything uh, north of call it $2 million, $3 million, or probably even smaller, but let's say $2 million ish is trading 30 to 40, the 40 number and the 42 number, those, those are for very, you know, you know, 5 million and up type claims with little to no preference exposure. You guys are smart. Have you guys noticed that every, every, every single, every single, not every single, but most of the key players in the last bull market and people we've respected and many of us looked up to, obviously Sam being the most obvious example, but I'm not going to list the rest of them, are either on the run, jailed, or uh, under investigation. Yeah, I mean, crazy. That's uh, that, I mean, and then and then and then we sit there complaining when regulators crack down on the industry. Like we haven't done too good of a job. We're fucked up pretty bad this time. I now. do think the differentiation that Brand made before is important here because I'm already you know scanning Twitter obviously for the news and seeing a whole bunch of people putting up thumbnails that show Doquan and Alex Mashinsky and SBF and then throwing Suzu in there and it is a different kind of situation here. As far as we know right now, this is not a fraud claim or a criminal uh, claim as far as we know. So I just do think, listen, I'm not saying it won't become one. I'm not saying they did anything good, bad. Otherwise, I'm just saying it's very important that people don't let this runaway train go, uh, believing that that makes them all the same just because they've all had some sort of apprehension or, or arrest. You're really, you're really saying this to crypto Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> well, gonna... of course, because you know they're <laughs> going to run with it and it's going to be memed out. And, and I think that's listen, that's natural. nothing we could do about yeah, it. Yeah. That's natural and fine, but uh, it is, you know, it is important to differentiate between the different kinds of crimes and situations. Doc one is, is already under arrest. He's in jail, isn't he? He's actually getting released. He's arrested like he's actually being released sometime in in October. We're we talking about the release from the. Um, is it Serbian prison? I think it is. And uh, I read Mas- article, Montenegro, no, um, I think. Was Montenegro, Montenegro. Montenegro. Yeah. So I, actually, if you, funny enough, if you look at the price of Luna C, Luna C, which is the the old Luna token, uh, it has been going up in the last couple of days. And I read an article that one of the reasons why it's going up is because the community is anticipating his release from prison, believe it or not. So that, uh, I mean. Hold on, released, released on bail or released how? Why? So uh, he's being released. I don't know what, if he's being released on bail or being released, but he's being released from the, from the prison in in Montenegro or whatever. But I don't think that, that yeah. But is be is he going to prison in another country? No, in, in Korea or something. So there are. I think there's a warrant of arrest out for him in Korea. I stand to be corrected, and I'm not sure if Korea and Montenegro have a extradition agreement. Let me check. He wouldn't be arrested if there was no extradition agreement, no. I think he was arrested for different charges, and I think the charges had something to do with like passport, uh, have, being in possession of fake passports, multiple passports, something along those lines. I think that's what it what it was about. Let me. I'm gonna check if they have an extradition treaty, and we'll know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think going back to Scott, there, there's no bilateral there, there's no bilateral extradition treaty in place between Montenegro and South Korea. It's based on Chad GPT, so take that with a grain of salt. Which is yeah, but I mean that's probably why he found himself there. Otherwise, why is there? Otherwise, why do you think uh, you know a Korean national who where he where the world was caving caving in found himself in in Montenegro? You know, I don't think he went there for the white the white sand and the white beaches. You know. Yeah, but hold on, hold on. There's another article here by QZ, uh, Do Kwon. So let me open it up. So that was June 20th. So that was a while ago. Do Kwon was jailed for four months in Montenegro, but faces 40 years in South Korea 
and then it says, um, so he's he was under arrest for forging travel documents. He, he spent four months behind bars in the Balkan prison. Um, and then it talks about Montenegro must decide about Do Kwan's extradition. Both the U.S. and South Korea. Hmm. There's the U.S. as well. Let me see if there's a an extradition with the U.S. Um, I'll just check that if there's a, a Montenegro and the U.S. have an extradition. So while I'm checking that, both the U.S. and South Korea have been vying to extradite the alleged crypto scammer from Montenegro for orchestrating the $40 billion downfall of Luna, blah, blah, blah. South Korean prosecutors, so South Korean prosecutors who have been leading the investigation to the, into Do Kwon told Bloomberg earlier this month, Kwon could be trialed in both countries and potentially spend his sentence first in one and then the other. A little spice so of a little variety, a little spice of life. Okay, yeah, so it's, it's going to get worse. Hold on, it's going to get worse because Montenegro and the U.S. do have an extradition treaty in place. So, in other words, like based on what the limited information we've read now in the articles, that because the article says that uh, the headline of the article says Montenegro lacks extradition treaties with both the U. Okay, so another source says there's no extradition treaty between the U.S. and Montenegro. So anyway, we'll leave it at there. I think we've covered it enough. It goes back to the point that everyone's either under arrest, on the run. Who's left on the run? There's not many that are left on the run. Even that Turkish guy got caught. The exchange got caught. I think also in Montenegro. Where was he caught? The Turkish one? Do you guys know? I know you're talking about. I know you're talking about. He was recently recently arrested. And I I remember he commented based on that, how many years would Sam Bankman-Fried get? I think, Scott, you commented about that. Scott, yeah, yeah. Something Scott would say. The the Thordex, so he's, he's the Thordex uh, cryptocurrency exchange, 11,200 11, years <laughs> sentence in Turkey. Chill, chill sentence. And he was, he, was, uh, he was arrested in Albania. Why is it everyone going to, to these countries? So he's in Albania. Uh, Doquan's in Montenegro. Um, so, uh, and we don't know where Carl Davies is, but again, we're not putting them in the same basket, just to be clear. Um, but Scott, I think we could, uh, we could move on. If we've got more updates on this, um, we'll, we'll uh, cover it. Um, I think we should talk about the, the news Ethereum. group. There's nothing else. Yeah, I think we should move on to the Ethereum futures ETF. Some good news. Quickly. Yeah. Go ahead, man. Yeah. Um, so uh, we could just give the, the quick update. Obviously, there was a lot of conjecture that an Ethereum futures ETF would be approved in the United States next week. Uh, so much so that VanEck started aggressively running an advertising campaign trying to raise AUM when it does go live. ProShare is also likely to get live on Monday. Uh, and Bitwise also likely get live on Monday. But what's interesting here is that Valkyrie, who actually won the race, and, and Steve McClurg was to be here. I had him on yesterday. Um, they, they were supposed to be in first place, and all of a sudden the SEC moved a number of, uh, of companies ahead of them, basically preempting them for Monday instead of on Tuesday. And we all know that with ETFs, there's a huge first mover advantage, and being first is very important. What seemingly happened here, I spoke with the, the Bloomberg guys and, and, and with others, what seemingly happened here yesterday is really interesting because Valkyrie had a Bitcoin futures ETF approved, obviously BFD, which they had approved two years ago, and they were the second mover, right? There was a billion went into BITO, 72 hours later, Valkyrie was approved, they did 100 million in AUM. Those were both top 15 launches ever. The Bitcoin futures ETF was number one ever. But what Valkyrie did here was they basically approved, they, they applied to convert their Bitcoin futures ETF into a blended Bitcoin and Ethereum futures ETF. But that still wasn't going to happen until Tuesday. So what they actually seemingly did here was get an updated risk disclosure that sort of circumvented the approval on Tuesday and allowed them to buy a very small percentage of the fund in ETH as of yesterday and today, up to 5%. 
And then when they get approval on Tuesday, which is very likely, then it will be able to go actively manage from 50% Bitcoin to 50% Ethereum. So effectively, they found a novel way to get the first approval that they were going to be getting in the first place. So now we do officially have Ethereum futures available through an ETF product in the United States. Notably, it did literally nothing for price, uh, which I don't think is a surprise at this part in the cycle. And we've seen futures ETFs actually be tops in the past. But officially, as of today, you can go get exposure to Ethereum futures via an ETF in the United States. It's, it's absolutely huge news. But isn't it expected news? Expected as of the last few weeks. And, and listen, like the, the, the argument here, obviously, is that there was already Bitcoin futures ETFs approved. Um, and so it was very hard to deny an Ethereum futures ETF when that structure was already approved. But here's the story that nobody seems to be talking about that I just want to kick around maybe with the panel. There's been a lot of conjecture that the SEC, after losing to Grayscale, would go nuclear option and basically and basically unlist or delist the Bitcoin futures ETF, right? We knew that they could, that they're going to have to give a new reason to reject a spot ETF, but their other option was to just say, you know what? You're right. We approved a, a spot a futures ETF for Bitcoin. That was wrong. And we're going to retract that. I have to imagine that that argument is now dead in the water if we're seeing Ethereum futures approved because now they would have to also retract all the Ethereum futures ones that are going to be approved next week. So I think that that's actually an important narrative and it's really not being discussed. But uh, if I'm missing some nuance and anyone knows, that, that would be great. But yes, it was expected over the past few weeks, Mario. No, so I mean, because like, you said that, that you know, you're not surprised that the markets didn't react much, but if it was expected, then it would have been already priced in. But my, my question to you, Scott, and then the rest of the panel, just feel free to jump in or put your hand up, um, uh, is what does that mean for the markets? Like, why is that such good news? I think it just allows for institutional investment in Ethereum for those who are looking for it, which is something that they largely could not get before. And, and like I said, next week, once we have sort of these unblended projects and uh, products and, and a number of them, we can see who who is off to the races. Yesterday, when I was speaking with Matt Hogan from Bitwise and with Steve McClurg from Valkyrie, they sort of consensus was that they think a successful a successful AUM for these products combined would be maybe roughly 300 million in the first uh, few weeks or, or month. And like I said, to put that in context, in a Bitcoin futures ETF that launched, of course, in a bull market, not in a crab market like this, there was 1.3 billion in the first two weeks or week. I don't want to be quoted exactly, but you know, we're talking about something that would be about a sixth of the size over a larger timeline. A, because it's Ethereum and there's smaller institutional interest, and B, because it's just that part of the market. So I've got to unmute. And Sean, I want to get your thoughts, uh, Tom's thoughts, Joshua's thoughts as well. I see. So, oh, Mike is there. I thought you dropped out, Mike. Um, and get your thoughts as well, Mike. Like With this news that we're seeing right now, what do you think that means for the markets? Um, and why do you think the markets are not reacting as positively as, as we'd expect them to? Uh, this is Mike. I'll definitely do my views on it. To me, this. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll jump in here. I, <laughs> Tom, I, think, always... uh, Tom, I think, Tom, yeah, you can't. I don't think you can hear Mike. <laughs> There's a bit of a glitch. You can't hear Mike. So I'm going to bring you down, Tom, and bring you back up. Uh, Mike, go ahead. And I'll bring you down and back up, Tom. Top of the market. A spot ETF has always been interesting because almost no matter what, when you start a new ETF, you have to seed it. So you can seed an ETF with anywhere from 25 to $100 million is. is generally typical and we have 10 ETFs or so on the board. So, you know, a billion dollars of spot buying in these markets is, is really meaningful. So I think that's why everyone's just looking for the spot approval. Anyone, 
Okay. T- oh, perfect. Now, finally. Yeah, that was an interesting glitch. Yeah, go ahead. Mike. He, he was a listener and still talking. Your... Interesting. Yeah, I know. It's happened once to me months and months ago. So, Tom, I'm just saying you invite to come back up. Uh, Mike, go ahead. You're responding to this, and then I'll give the mic back to Tom. Um, the, I think we have to be careful with all the focus on ETF launches and futures. This stuff is inevitable. It was things we predicted years ago. It's just all happening at once. The problem is it's happening in what might be considered a bear market. We've had a bounce. So to me, it's the macro that's the 10. Everything else we're really speaking about is more fives or lower. Um, and it's, it's the environment now that they're being launched. And so I'm putting the, I just sent the editorial, my crypto outlook for the month. And the key focus is we have positive beta to the stock market. It's starting to roll over. And there's still negative liquidity. So let me just give you some facts. The last two times the Fed pivot, Bitcoin swoons, Bitcoin plunges preceded those pivots. That was in 2018 at the end. And then, of course, with the uh, with the COVID plunge, Bitcoin led those. And it's just the way it's happened. So they, I look at look into the future. Where does the market tell me for liquidity? Fed fund futures in one year are around 5%. That's not telling me there's any sign of liquidity. And there's still prices are still drifting lower, markets higher. And then I look over, okay, what's the relative performance of, say, the Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index? It's still underperforming relative to, the, to say, the Russell 2000 um, index. I use that because they've had very similar patterns. They're rolling over. They're still heading lower from the peaks. They've been consolidating. The key question is, what's the next catalyst to go lower? So to me, I think what's happening is, um, is the market's getting ready for this recession. It's just a matter of time. And then you look at things like the bond market. Fact, the last time we had a big, you know, when you had a big swoon in bond yields in 1987 was a good example. That peaked the week before the crash. How about crude oil? Crude oil has been spiking lately. It peaked in 2008. That's right when things started to roll over. So to me, the macro is as virtually all risk assets have gone up this year and virtually all risk assets have rolled over this quarter. What happens the next quarter? My point is our analysis recession should kick in in this country. It's already started in Europe and crypto should follow that low. In fact, if Bitcoin's leading status should head low. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm negative. It's a happy Friday for everyone. I'm just pointing out facts of where markets are going. You basically need, I think, in Q4 for the recession not to happen, for the stock market to recover, and potentially for liquidity to be turned back on from the Fed. Otherwise, the macro for Bitcoin is quite negative. Yeah, Sean. Yeah, I think that's a good macro overview and perspective. Sean, I want to focus on the ETF here still. Obviously, how are you guys viewing this um, at, at Fundstrat? Yeah. So, I mean, similar to uh, Mike's sentiments around, uh, you know, whether it's a catalyst or not, you know, we definitely still think that, you know, the macro setup is uh, uh, definitely more important than just having these, you know, products uh, out to market. Obviously, uh, you know, it's not going to change the direction of uh, of asset prices, but, you know, we do think it can influence the magnitude of moves, right? If, If more people, if it reduces friction, uh, for people having access to uh, to products that provide exposure to spot prices, obviously that's a good thing um, uh, when macro does turn. Um, you know, ETH futures. You know, I think the significance is actually greater. I think someone alluded to it already. I think I think it's, there's a greater significance in terms of um, what this means for uh, you know the regulatory setup going forward. Um, you know, it certainly puts the SEC into a uh, much tighter corner as it relates to the spot Bitcoin ETF. And, 
frankly, just continues to erode, um, you know, their, their reputation uh, when it comes to regulating the industry. Um, so, you know, I, I still think, you know, macro is more important. I certainly, you know, I think I've, have made my views known that I have a differing view on uh, the macro outlook for, you know, equities and, and crypto specifically than, than Mike, but, um, but in terms of what will drive flows, uh, certainly an ETF isn't a cure off of that. Yeah, clearly. I mean, we, you can see it in the price, right? Uh, Jacqueline, what do you think uh, about this? Hey, yeah, thanks for having me on. I think going off what Scott said, even if the market didn't respond too much to this positive news or to this news, it is positive in a way for market players and financial institutions that want to get into the space. I think anything right now that gives crypto a green flag is a leg up for the industry opposed to the delays we've seen or shoot downs of applications to spot related things. I think Mike also raises good points that we have to be careful about this because it's not the highly anticipated spot investment product. Like, yes, it is still positive in a way, but it's for futures and the market really didn't respond as much. I'm not an analyst, so I can't really speculate on like the price movement. But as Mike said, like looking at the macro environment, there's still a big question mark around liquidity. Yeah, and, and Mario, that means we should definitely talk about the fact because it actually, I think, happened after the show yesterday that we saw sweeping delays on the Bitcoin spot ETFs, right? So there was a lot of conjecture. We had Bloomberg saying 70% chance of a 2023 approval. Gary Gensler put that to bed really, really fast, literally 45 minutes after he was sent a letter by four members of Congress to approve a spot ETF. He uh, kicked the can down the road on ARC and now kicked the can down the road on effectively the rest of them, Valkyrie, BlackRock. Listen, if they're kicking BlackRock down the road, we're not seeing an approval in, in 2023. I think he's a very, very safe bet. And you can make an argument that the market didn't react negatively to that news either. So it's like we got to point out when the market doesn't react to some positive news, we also got to point out whenever it doesn't react to negative news as well. And let's consider this negative. Uh, we do have Carlo here. So maybe Carlo can maybe, uh, as we wrap up later on, we, we kind of get an update on Juice soon. Not sure if you've looked into it, Carlo. Give us a bit more light. And again, all the reports we're reading, they're just reports. Could all be wrong. He might not even be under arrest. Uh, we have no ID. So just to be clear, everyone, uh, I would take every report out there with a grain of salt. But before going, before pivoting back to Zusu, um, uh, Scott, I've got to ask you a, a very simple question again. Is that, uh, I know the answer, but I want to question it a bit further. Is that why does, it, does an ETF matter? Why does the industry need an ETF? There, there's a number of reasons, but the, the biggest one, obviously, is that there's a certain class of investors and certainly real uh, and cer certainly investment advisors who do not have a way to, in a risk managed manner, offer Bitcoin and these products to their, their customers and institutions that can't uh, afford to cold storage or worry about custody. Look, I mean, look at Prime Trust and Fortress, for an example. Um, and can't afford to risk custody. They all need a product that they can actually utilize safely. That's insured to and to buy in their equity account, you know, on Charles Schwab, but, and that's so, how they can get exposed. So, yeah, oh, Scott. Scott, I'll, I'll just. Who's speaking? Tom is a Tom is a listener on. speaking again, which is a magic trick that he seems to have. But if it works, I don't know ahead. how you're doing it, Tom. But yeah, go ahead. Tom. You're listening to all of us. But yeah, go ahead, man. Sorry, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can. Yeah, but just to get, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you something I'm probably gonna regret. But right now we cannot mute you or remove you from stage, so you kind of control the show if you like. Uh, so please use your powers. Tom's in charge. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll say something real quick and then I'll hop out and come back in. 
Um, yeah, so basically it's, it's really important for a number of the reasons Scott outlined, but I think it's a little more nuanced than that. So if you're an RIA or if you're a financial advisor, right. And your client says, Hey, I have 1% Bitcoin. Uh, you say, okay, great. You have it on Coinbase. I can't see that, but more importantly, I don't earn fees on that. So if I have a way as a financial advisor to give you your whatever, one, three, four, five, um, percent position in Bitcoin, I can get my, my fee off of that. So I'm incentivized now to actually entertain your, um, you know, your crypto fantasies and all that. So I, so it's an easy way for you to put that in. And I don't know if I got cut off before, but the other thing on the institutional side is, you know, the ability to actually put it in large portfolios for pensions, endowments, foundations. Um, you know, my previous life, I advised a lot of those people and, you know, you could say, Hey, VC fund, uh, you know, here's my money, go invest in crypto. But it's a lot easier to say like, Hey, I'll just buy this Bitcoin ETF and, you know, I'll give you uh, you know, pension fund one, 1% and, you know, I, I don't have to think about it, but I know it's custodied safe. And I know it's now sort of sanctioned at least by the U S authorities enough. They were able to, to give an ETF. So you're going to have buying on both sides, both from the retail yeah, side but, and the institutional side. But, the, side question, but the, the question is that that argument made sense to me a few years ago, but now custody is no longer an issue. It's and a then huge we know issue. That Bitcoin it is a huge issue. Yeah. To this day, yeah. do, do not remember us covering the prime trust story where they, a regulated custodian uh, committed fraud to cover up losing private keys. And now we have Scott Purcell who left prime trust going to start Fortress and Fortress got hacked for $15 million and Ripple just backed out of the deal to buy them when doing their due diligence, just like BitGo backed out of buying prime trust. Our trusted regulated custodians can't even keep private keys safe or protect your money. We have a huge huge problem with risk management and with custodians in the crypto space. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll add to that. Yeah, I'll add to that. I, I spoke to one of the top 10 largest hedge funds in the world literally yesterday, which, you know, they, 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 they have a crypto team and crypto operation and just they cannot find a custodian. They need a qualified custodian. There's no one that they want to work with. I mean, they want to work with a bony melon or a state street or a large traditional custodian, but because of uh, SAB 121, which is the SEC's you know rule, which basically limits the ability of uh, you know publicly traded U.S. bank to offer crypto custody services because it requires them to hold equal U.S. dollar collateral to the underlying crypto that they're holding. Because of that, you know n- none of these none of these large traditional custodians can offer crypto, and so they're hoping that that offshore banks can offer. You know- Okay, but guys, guys well, the, the reason I thought it was no longer an issue because we have didn't Mellon announce? So let me go into it. So Bank of yeah, New York Mellon they, is they, adding crypto to assets that it holds as a custody manager, and again, Deutsche Bank is well making an application to do the same in Germany. Yeah, but 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 BNY Mellon is limited by SAB one twenty one. So in other words, every dollar of crypto that BNY Mellon wants to custody, they have to hold a U.S. dollar on their balance sheet, which means you're foregoing five percent yield on that through Treasuries. So you know that 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 product. I, I don't know the exact AU, AUM of the custody product, but they're not, it's not available. Like, you know, maybe a couple preferred customers of BNY Mellon have access to it and maybe $50 oh, wow. or $100 million, but it's not, it's not really, they can't offer it. I mean, they're, they're, it's this stupid. Because of the requirement to have a, to have a dollar for every yeah, dollar so it's you impossible. Hold, uh, It just makes it very financially, just not yeah, that, that I, viable I mean, to do a large scale. Billion and then go find 10 billion in cash to match those yeah, assets. Exactly. You're not going to do it. Yeah. That's crazy. So I'm guessing Deutsche Bank will have to do no, the same thing. No, Deutsche Bank's not. It, 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 it's it's a problem with American banks. So, but I, but I don't think Deutsche Bank is live yet with custody. But that's why I said like, no, 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 they've made an application. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. One, I okay. think once these offshore banks like or, or like 
you know, real like UBS, Deutsche Bank, whatever, whoever it ends up being, HSBC, whoever ends up offering these services, I think that becomes uh, that becomes interesting to uh, to 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 hedge funds and, and something that they can trust. But a lot of these funds, you know, they don't want to do business with the crypto native custodians. And also, keep in mind, I mean, they have no balance sheet, right? Like. You know, what happens if one of these crypto native custodians get hacked? Like they've only raised fifty million dollars, a hundred million. But what about what about Coinbase? Isn't what about Coinbase's custodial services? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, look, I, I think there are a bunch of people that do trust Coinbase, but from speaking to a bunch of uh, like like you know largest hedge funds in the world, some of them that's not enough, right? It just it just depends on their risk management team, right, and, and what they're willing to what they're willing to do. I mean, these guys, um, Scott, like Boney say- Mellon and State Street and, and, and these other and, and large custodians, I mean, that's who they want to do business with. Go ahead, Scott. I, I was just going to say, it's just to, to be very clear, custody is still a huge problem. Yeah. And, and so... Yeah, I was going to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was going to ask you, like, do you still think it's a big problem? Like, I've just pointed out Mellon, I pointed out Deutsche, Coinbase, yeah, I, I, and it's still a huge problem. I think problem. this is just yet another example of things that will cycle through and be solved with time. It's just we're not there yet. You know, I hate to use the meme that we're still early, but uh, we do know that they'll find a way. The Bank of New York Mellons, I'm sure, will find a way to get those rules changed, right? And if a Deutsche Bank or something does come in, but uh, we're already sort of, I think, in this moving towards a bifurcation of either self-custody, which individuals should absolutely do if they trust themselves and want to really hold these assets, and then everything else moving to, quote unquote, trusted, regulated, insured custodians on the other side. And I have a feeling that'll be a complete washout for a lot of the uh, sort of crypto native custodians. I mean, I think there are some that are still very well trusted and respected. You mentioned Coinbase. I think BitGo, very highly uh, respected and highly touted. So I think there'll be a place for everybody, but it seems like we're moving towards Wall Street. Yeah, and keep in mind, keep in mind a couple of things. The first is SAV121 only applies to publicly traded companies. In other words, like Fidelity, for example, isn't doesn't have the same requirement. So it's only if you're public. Um, and obviously, um, there, there are others that have talked about offering crypto custody services. And, and, and also, once these guys move in, right, like these large traditional custodians, they're going to offer like Bitcoin and ETH. They're not going to offer anything beyond that. And there's going to be some, you know, there's going to be demand beyond just Bitcoin and ETH. I mean, you know, they're... they're... So what's what's next? In terms of a future ETF, what's next? Now we have Bitcoin, we're about to get ETH. What would you expect to be Bitcoin next? Bitcoin spot ETF. No, no, in terms of futures ETFs other than Bitcoin and ETH. What do you, you think I mean, we got an altcoin ETF? So we did, before we saw the Ethereum futures ETF, we did see a 2x leverage Bitcoin futures ETF approved. So I don't know, Josh, maybe a 2x leverage Ethereum futures ETF would I, I be I think next. he's asking if there's going to be an altcoin ETF. I, 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 I don't, don't think so. Yeah, I don't. I mean, unless it's like something like Litecoin or BCH or something, which just, you know. Right, like what futures like contracts Bitcoin. would they buy to put in the ETF? You, you have to, they have to be able to go out on the market and buy future oh, contracts I, to put yeah, into the ETF. 100%. CME is only Bitcoin and ETH, right? So CME would have to list other assets. Yeah. So it, it would, so Mario, to be clear, it would require futures to exist for these other assets before a futures ETF can buy those futures to create the ETF. So right now we only have yeah. Bitcoin and, and it was, futures. And people might not remember that BITO, when it launched, which was the Bitcoin futures ETF, like I said, they did a billion uh, in AUM effectively overnight. And they literally couldn't find enough futures contracts that were short dated to fill it. So they had to go out to 60, 90, 120 days to buy the contracts, which means that it becomes an extremely volatile product product versus the spot underlying asset. The idea of the ETF, obviously, in general is to 
track very closely the spot price of Bitcoin. And the further dated futures you have to buy to fill the AUM, the less it tracks it. And that's why we've seen it massively underperform spot Bitcoin. Shitty product and terrible for terrible for retail. If the SEC wants to protect retail, they would obviously approve a Bitcoin spot ETF, but clearly that's not their intention. Just just to add a bit here to the question as well. So I've spoken with, and I don't know if I'm a speaker listener again, but hopefully that got sorted out. Um, I've spoken with, okay, good. I've spoken with uh, Vanak, also spoken with Fidelity, and they are in the very early stages of trying to find out what customers actually want in spot products. So they're not even putting that stuff on their roadmap yet. It's really just Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then based on customer demand, we'll start exploring the other assets, but it hasn't really been there for them the demand hasn't been there for them to really start exploring those yet. Sorry, I was not eating, my bad. Uh, Tom, by the way, you're a great speaker. We'd love to have you more often. Uh, Scott, I, I don't think, I think we've covered this well. We can do the recession space on uh, on Monday. Um, can I ask uh, Carlo about uh, Zusu if he's read into it or you prefer not? Oh, good morning, Mario. Uh, good morning, all. Thank you for having me on. I did briefly uh, look into it, and I have to agree with you, Mario. It is too soon to tell. Uh, I'd like to see more confirmation on what's going on. But of course, the Three Arrows collapse was a major, major turning point in crypto, and it was tied into what happened with Luna and certainly had a huge ripple effect in the space. So any new developments in this case, including detaining one of the key players in that company is certainly something that I'd like to look closely at and see where it goes. And is it another question I have, like, is it common to detain someone um, for not um, playing ball with the liquidators? You know, I would have to think that this detention is somehow tied to violation of a court order. Yeah, like a contempt of court. Uh, there's got to be some judicial authority. Simple, similar, yeah, similar the contempt, contempt of, court of court would court, give the right? authority. It doesn't make you a fraud. It just means exactly. you're listening to the court. Exactly. I can't, I can't tell you in detail, but I can only speculate that's what the root of this is. Fair. Okay. Cool. Uh, I think this is it. Uh, Joe, I brought you up. You wanted to make a point on ETH. Uh, yeah, I saw your messages kind of screaming at me, disagreeing with what we said. Yeah, it's just the next ETF. If you look at purpose in Canada, one of the most popular ETFs is the uh, Ethereum uh, yield ETF, which is basically writing covered calls. It's one of the reasons why I really liked when, when options started in crypto, because it's a wealth management secret of the ultra rich to simply write covered calls on their, on their assets to earn a yield. And you're getting like 14% yield to 19% yield on writing covered calls on ETH. And this, this uh, ETF has performed extremely well. And I think if they look, they had, I think at the high, they had 150 million, in AUM, which is high for Canada, um, I think that would probably be the next step, and and I think it's uh, it would be really good for a lot of people. Joe, so you know what else? I, you know what people else? aren't aware of. Yeah, Joe, you know what else I've seen floated that's really really interesting, and I don't think it can be done legally now, but something that could be for the future is that as these are being actively managed, uh, if especially if we get spot ones, that then they could obviously stake the assets that are in the ETF and earn that yeah. yield as well. Yeah, imagine staking, staking, getting STE using Lido, staking, getting STE using STE to then co write covered calls. You could probably get like twenty percent yield, which is amazing for people, right? Like this is what the uh, this is what I see the future is for crypto to replace the financial system, where 
you you basically have almost a savings account if if Ethereum eventually becomes less volatile. You basically have a savings account that pays you a very high yield by helping you support the network. Yeah, that, I mean, that's even a level above what I was considering if you consider the quote unquote safe, you know, from one of these Wall Street products where they simply, you know, if it was a spot ether, they take the spot ether that they've bought for the AUM and then they simply stake it and earn the three, four, five, six, seven percent, whatever it is at that time. That would still be a huge yeah, like 4%. Yeah, I mean, that would still be hugely compelling, I think, for someone to earn the yield on that ETF that's a spot and, and safe product. This is what gets the boomers onto crypto without knowing they're in crypto, I believe. Great point. Mario, what do you think? Uh, I was just looking at the open exchange token. It's pretty it's gone pretty wild. It's got, it's done, it went down like 50%. No, 40-something percent. No, 50. And then went back up all the way, recovered almost all of it back at the same levels. Almost yeah, somebody, spelled, somebody spent then, $47 and pumped it back up 50%. Good job. <laughs> Got to make that same joke. You bet me to it. But then it went jump, jumped all the way back to – no, man, but the volume is this. $4.3 million volume. We keep talking about there's no volume. It's $4.3 million. It's not great, but it's not like some altcoin with no volume whatsoever. I think um, the bigger story is the yeah. uh, fa- founder risk that we consider c- continually see in the crypto space, right? You're not only investing in these things in a project, you're investing in the person at the top of it. And that's been a pretty uh, bad bet in the last year, as we said. When, when are we going inv- to invest in Wolf of, uh, Wolf of Wall Street's coin? Gary's listening. Shut up. The Wolf coin. <laughs> Actually, I'll go to, to Frentech. Let's go Frentech see your token. Um, I think this is it for now. We've covered everything. We'll be back. There's more breaking news on on uh, on uh, anything major. We'll just cover it on the weekend, but unlikely there will be any. Um, and we'll see everyone on Monday. Agree? Yeah, great job. Thanks, guys. You Thank you, everyone. Cool. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much. Bye.